0: Hello, Dazzle. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I'm glad that you're here. Today, I want to talk about autism and how science currently understands its relationship with genetics. This is a complex topic, and because of that, I'm going to be keeping things at a basic level. First, because fully delving into the topic of anything in the realm of genetics is outside the scope of this post. Secondly, because going into any great depth on the topic is outside of my wheelhouse. The first thing to touch upon is the fact that what we know about the genetics of autism is complex. There are no clear or perfect answers at this point in time, which is why the research is still ongoing. Twin and family studies have provided evidence that autism is largely genetically determined, yet there's research that suggests that the twinning process itself is an important risk factor in the development of autism, with major consequences for our interpretation of twin studies. There is also plenty of research that now challenges the diagnostic criteria, if not the diagnosis of autism itself. There's plenty of research to show that many traits associated with autism may in fact be due to alexithymia, and that there may be more than one type of autism. In most cases, it appears that autism is polygenetic, or that multiple genetic factors are involved, with each likely contributing only a small amount of risk. There is also good evidence that autism is genetically heterogeneous, meaning that there are multiple alleles or possible variations that can generate the same presenting traits. How these various alleles combine together will impact the overall presentation of traits, which is a likely factor for the variability in the traits being presented in different individuals. This means that there are numerous possible variations upon the numerous genes that could possibly affect autistic traits. Some of these variations are coding for the same traits as each other, while other variations are for different traits or even for non-autistic traits. In addition to that, there are other factors adding to this complexity. There's the influence of epigenetics or the modification of gene expression without changing the DNA. Our body uses DNA methylation, DNA-M to effectively turn on or off our genes. This means that genes can be present in our DNA but not expressed due to being suppressed. There are also de novo mutations, which are genetic alterations that present for the first time in one family member as a result of a variant or mutation in a germ cell, which is an egg or a sperm of one of the parents. The role of environmental influences on expression is unclear, but it is thought to have an impact on the epigenetic level. This is based upon the numerous environmental factors highly correlated with the presentation of autistic traits. All of this makes it very difficult to determine the exact cause of autism. It is important to understand that while we are discussing our understanding and the current clinical theory regarding the genetics of autism, that there has been nothing fully decided upon in the clinical arena. Again, this is why the research into the cause of autism is still ongoing. Different experts have differing opinions based upon the same research. Thus, it is easy to find literature that presents a multitude of different opinions and thoughts regarding this matter. All of this makes the topic all the more confusing. Currently, autism is not classified as a genetic disorder. The reason for this is because there is no gene or set of genes that, when present, always produces the traits associated with the autism diagnosis. Additionally, the current research suggests that such a gene or set of genes does not exist for autism a meta-analysis of seven primary twin studies reported that the hereditability estimates ranged from 64 to 93% of the time, rather than the 100% or very near 100% that would be expected from a genetic disorder. Additionally, the severity of the various traits is different between the twins. This means that individuals. In individuals who have identical DNA, autism does not always present the same way. This implies that there is more impacting the presentation of the autism traits than the person's DNA. However, all of that being said, As we learn more about genetics in general, we are beginning to realize that there is less black and white about these diseases and that there is much more going on than we previously understood. There are cases where individuals have been found to have the genetic criteria present for a genetic disorder, but not meet the clinical diagnostic criteria for that disorder. A large reason that we've always believed that those who've had the DNA always had the disorder is because we were only performing the DNA sequence on those who were presenting symptoms for the disorder. With the rise of genetic testing and increasing available data on individuals without any diagnosis, we're beginning to see a different picture. In the end, it may mean that there are far fewer diseases that fall under the label of being genetic disorders rather than having a genetic predisposition. This does not mean that DNA does not play an important role in autism. What it means is that autism has a genetic predisposition rather than being a genetic disorder. The research clearly demonstrates that there are genes that are commonly present in individuals with autism this suggests that epigenetics plays a role in autism dna methylation and epigenetic modification allows for both genetic and environmental factors to modulate the phenotype or the observable trait there is research that demonstrates that the myelination changes are associated with autism. As of yet, there's no indication what activates the myelination in autistic individuals. However, there are numerous environmental factors, factors that are not related to DNA, that are correlated with an increased risk for autism, such as parental age, asphyxiated related birth complications, preterm birth, maternal obesity, gestational diabetes, various medications during pregnancy, and viral infections. It is also important to mention in all of us that autistic traits are often seen in individuals that do not meet the diagnostic criteria for autism. Genetic relatives of people with autism often show milder expression of traits uh, characteristic for autism, often referred to as the broader autism phenotype or BAP. This suggests that there is a cumulative nature to autism rather than an all-or-nothing factor, meaning that a person can have autistic traits, and if mild, they can function within society without dysfunction, distress, or danger. But when those traits become numerous or severe, the individual begins to have difficulties functioning within society, presenting with distress, dysfunction, or danger. While many object to autism being included within the DSM-5, the preceding information goes a long way to explain why it has found its way included amongst the mental disorders. Like every other disorder within the, within the DSM-5, the research for autism suggests that there is a genetic predisposition with significant environmental factors determining the presentation of the disorder. While autism is also classified as a developmental disorder, this doesn't change the fact that it is more similar to the other disorders of the DCM-5 than not. There are many that focus upon the idea that they are born with autism while those with depression or anxiety develop that later in their lives. And yes, the research suggests that individuals are either born with autism or develop autism while very young, as of yet we cannot rule out developing autism while an infant or toddler. Yet what these disorders all have in common is that the disorder is not guaranteed to be present based on the DNA, but rather develop because a person has the DNA and experiences an environmental exposure, whether they're still in their mother's womb or during later in life. The other thing that autism has in common with the other disorders within the DSM-5 is that the autism traits are found within the family members of those with autism, despite not meeting diagnostic criteria. This is also true of the other DSM-5 disorders, and this is where the idea of being, quote, a little autistic or, quote, a little ADHD comes from. This is also why the disorder is considered a spectrum, as are the other disorders within the DSM-5, despite not being labeled that. In the DSM-5 itself. As a final point when discussing autism's place within the DSM-5, there is the undeniable link between autism spectrum disorders and the schizophrenia spectrum disorders. Research suggests that 30% of those with autism also present with schizophrenic symptoms, including psychosis. This is much higher than the general population where there's only about a half a percent of people with schizophrenic symptoms. Efforts have been made to characterize the pattern of cognitive function in both disorders, and similarities have become apparent, such as deficits in abstract reasoning and the more complex aspects of memory and language. However, it is difficult to determine how much of this is due to the historical connections of the two disorders and the interconnected language used to describe them. Well, That's about it for my rambling today. Thanks for coming and spending some time with me. If you like the post, consider giving us some support. It really does help. And until we talk again, you guys, be sure to take care of yourselves. Bye.